How are you guys doing? We're going to be in Exodus 23 and 24 on the back end of Exodus 23. So we'll be starting in verse 20. Uh, Exodus is a great book. If you guys have not, most of you guys have not been with us for the last three years, we like to take the books of the Old Testament and walk through them very slowly, um, but very precisely as well. And so we've actually been doing Exodus for the last three years and dipping a little bit deeper into each passage. I'm adjusted here. We've discovered we have a bit of a bump in our stage, and so I've adjusted my platform over here. So, um, But guys, I could not have selected better songs this morning, and I think Beth Ann for doing her job, and uh, Hannah, I think, was involved in that as well, as, as well as some of our other team members that you guys have seen here, and we're so grateful to have those individuals that have chosen to come and participate and help lead worship for our church, and so we're just thankful for that. But, uh, Kaylin, I'm going to throw you way off, so forgive me, okay? Would you mind finding the Battle Belongs and go to the first portion of the song? This really is a huge application for this morning. Uh, it's a reminder that if you're sitting in this room and you've ever wondered, what do I do next? I don't know how to face this situation, that you can be reminded of the battle belongs to the Lord. But in this first verse, I really, this caught my eye. Go ahead and go through the first verse real quick. Let's just read it. There's, there's peace that outlasts darkness. Hope that's in the blood. Now we're going to get to blood later, so this should be interesting, right? Okay. Hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. But look at this. So I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. We'll just pause there. I'm fighting the battle. I love that song from just the perspective of a lot of those little nuances we're gonna see today in this passage. We're going to see where the implications of why Christ had to die on a cross and spill his blood for us. We're going to see the implications where we can have peace when we're about to face a battle that we have no idea how to face. One of the things that I love, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get back to all that in a second, but I want to kind of connect some dots here. I love entrepreneurship. I love watching what guys do when they start new businesses, uh, when we, we call them church planners in the church world, when they actually establish a brand new church in a neighborhood or a community. I love watching it. And here's why, because they actually are dangerous enough to go in there and try to figure out what are the little nuances it's going to take in order to start my business, start my church, start my organization. They're daring. I, I would never do it again. I planted twice in my lifetime, and I will never go back to church planting again, okay? But I'll always go into established churches or churches that are starting to grow, like this one. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting watching these folks try to navigate the dynamics of what it takes to start up. It takes a lot of preparedness, right? How many of you guys are preparers? Like, you're ready for just about anything, Right? Okay, you've got even a closet in your house that's got a case ready to go, okay? Uh, if you're that guy, you're on the lamb, and I know it now. But most of us are probably not as prepared as the most severe preparation people, right? You might be ready for some things, but you're not as ready as that guy. 
And we want to be prepared because we want to be ready for the situations that come up. Because we know that there's moments where we have to plow through certain areas that we've never had to plow through before. We have to face certain things that we've never had to face in our life. And so when we look at the beginnings and the starts of anything, we always know that there's going to be a challenge in front of us. That's what the book of Exodus shows us. It shows us a group of people that when God wants to get something done, he pays the path. That none of them have to be entrepreneurs. They just need to follow his lead. In fact, all throughout the story of Exodus, you go all the way back to the beginning. You could even go further back into Genesis when it talks about a man named Joseph, right? Joseph, the son of Israel, who has had 12 brothers that didn't like him too much because he was the favorite. That's going to be Michaela's story a little later. And that's my daughter, if you don't know, because uh, she's my favorite. The boys know it. <laughs> but Joseph was loved and, you know, by his dad, but his brothers didn't like him. They threw him in a pit. He ended up in Egypt because he became a slave to them, blah, 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 move beyond that. And then uh, he ended up there for years, but he began to build a rapport. I think God paved the way for him to have access to the governor and to be second in charge. This allowed for Israel's family, which was again, his sons that were 12, 12 of them, to go into Israel eventually, rebuild the relationship with Joseph, and then be able to begin to establish their family. Exodus starts out where they've established their family so much so that it's been overwhelmingly sizing out the Egyptians. In fact, it got so bad that the Pharaoh who knew Joseph forgot about Joseph, or the Pharaoh who knew Joseph was no longer there. A new Pharaoh came in, and that new Pharaoh did not know this people. And this people group was getting large. And so they began to enslave them and make them do things and build things for the Egyptians. And so in the process of making them build and do all these things, God sees this and he's built his community and he says, these are my people. I don't want them to be enslaved anymore. And so he pulls them out of this and paves a new path for them. In fact, he paves the path that goes through a sea. He paves the path that goes to the mountain, goes to where he can dwell with them and they can be safe again in his care. And so the story of Exodus, that's kind of a shortened version of it, but that's where we're at. They've been at the mountain and in the process of being at the mountain, he's provided food, he's provided water, he's provided everything they need, including a moving rock. You should have been here last year. That one was interesting. But he has provided for them and they're in a place where they can have peace because they're in the presence of God and God dwells with them. One of the interesting things about the book of Exodus is how often you notice that God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be in their presence. He wants to be with them. He loves them. He cares for them. And so he makes a way. Now, the other side of that story, maybe the Old Testament side, is that, he, that you may not have liked coming in in the past to church about was the idea of the Old Testament being seeming like he's so holy and wrathful. He is. 
because he is pure, he's holy, he's the only one that's good, that's righteous. He's the only one that can. And so because of that, he has a purified hatred of sin. Sin is that, that desire that's deep in our heart to do the things that we want to do for the pleasures that we want to experience that are outside of his direction for our lives. And so his desire is to be in our lives that sin would not corrupt us. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we have the cross and the resurrection that he bodily rose from the dead and we can have hope in Christ. But in the mix of all of that, we have to get an understanding of his holiness. And the book of Exodus helps us to grab that understanding. And so in chapter 23, starting in verse 20, says, behold. Now remember, they're by the mountain. He's gonna convey to them that they have a new path and direction he wants to take them in. He says, behold, I send an angel before you to, one, look at, guard you on the way to bring you to the place that I, that I have prepared. Pay attention Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey my, his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May everything that's said and done today be a reflection of your holiness and your desire to convey righteousness, but also your love and desire to have a relationship with your people. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. First thing we notice, there is a couple of items that he makes a promise of here real quick. First off, God always goes before his people. And to be honest with you, that's never changed. In fact, every time we look at starting a new campus, we pray first. We seek him out. Our elders are very uh, discerning just naturally, and God's given that a gifting, but they spend time when they hear of a church that wants to be involved with Coastal, they pray first. We decide where we go on mission trips, we pray first. When we decide how to do ministry in the community, we pray first. We are always wanting God to go before us because if we go before God, we might cause just a bunch of chaos. We may lean it more towards our preferences rather than towards his vision. And so we have to be attentive, but we know in this story that he's saying God is going before his people. He's sending his angel. Two, he will guard you. Letter A, he guards his people. Now in this sense, you can kind of depict or get the picture of uh, what you might see if you saw the president, right? What's going to be around the president? The secret service. In the Secret Service, they not only are around the president, they surround him. And sometimes you don't even know they're there, but they're there. That way he can shake hands and kiss babies, right? But there's moments where 
even though it's not seen, it's still very much present. Just the same, God guards his people. He wants to guard them. But here's one of the deals that has to happen. The people have to stay near the guard, right? They've got to stay near his presence. They've got to know the directions that keep them safe. So he's giving these instructions to remind them that I want to guard you, but then he also says, I want to bring you. Some of you guys have kids, and you know when you bring your kids, especially at a young age, you bring your kids, right? You pack their bags. You're carrying about 15 different items. If you're going to grandma's, you need something for them to play with, so you got to bring a bunch of stuff that they can play with. Uh, you've got their diapers to change them. So you carry a lot of stuff, but you bring your kid and you carry them to the car. You lay them in there. You set them down. You get in the driver's seat. You drive them to grandma's. They really have no choice in the matter, right? But they're back there. Woo, yeah, probably, you know, just had milk that morning. And you know what happens when that happens. And it's spewing over. And guess what you get to do when you get out of the car? Clean it up. But, he says, I'll bring you. Just picture that. See, I, I think in our world, there's a lot of times where we do a lot of the work. We decide, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And yet God goes, no, 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 you just have to follow. Do you remember the key phrase Jesus says to the disciples? Follow me. He doesn't look at them and, and basically say, hey, you know what? Uh, you guys figure it out. And uh, when you fall down, I'll come out and see and I'll kind of point and laugh, but then I'll pick you up. No, no, he says, follow me. I've got a direction. I've got a pathway. I want to show you what we are capable of. I want to show you the capacity. So I want to bring you along. Here's, here's the challenge for us. Paul says this, as I follow Christ, follow me. We also have this obligation. We're not their guard or protector, but sometimes we get in a relationship, much like we talked about last week, where we're trying to get them engaged in relationship to the point where we get them plugged into the life of the body. Sometimes we gotta walk with them. That's why when we talked last week about how we multiply, we multiply by, by bringing people along with us. It's not just me going and saying, hey, go join a small group. It's me saying, hey, come with me to my small group. It's not just me serving and saying, hey, go, go serve somewhere. It's me bringing you along and saying, let's serve together. It's that aspiration that we are gonna consistently come along together. But at the same time, what you're hoping and I'm hoping, even if you don't know that you're hoping for this yet, is that I'm following Christ. That I'm following the person who's gonna pave the path to get to where we need to go. And so in this process, is he is talking to his people. He is saying, follow me. Because this is the best thing you can do. I have a future and a hope for you. 
follow me. See the pattern builds. The other thing he says is I prepared for you. We read this a few weeks ago in the book of John where it said that Jesus prepared a place, right? The first part of John 14 leading into I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. He says, I've got a, a place for you. Isn't it good to know that God not only guards you, he not only brings you along, but he prepares for you. And that's what he's done for his people. And he says, I want to get you into the direction you need to go because I'm prepared for you. I expected you. There's a lot of times that unexpected things happen to us. That does not happen to God. And there should be a lot of peace and comfort in that very, under, very that knowledge that he is not surprised, he is not shocked, he's not even dismayed by your chaos. But he is calling you to obey, to get out of your chaos. So not only does he bring you, not only does he guard you, not only does he prepare for you, but he calls you out of something. So what does he do with the Israelites? He says, I want to call you out of something. I want to call you out of your sin, your, your desire to rebel. Because here's what we believe here at the church, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every one of us born have sin in our lives. It's just a natural state of being because the world's broken. It's been broken since the beginning of Genesis. And because we're broken, there's no clarification of which one of us is right. Because if, if my hope was that Nathan was right and I could follow him, it would have been a rough 20 years before he got here, right? But my hope is in Christ. And if the path I'm following is following Christ, he has more than the knowledge of just the last few years. He knows eternity. Nothing's temporary to him. He lives outside of our time zone, right? Our thought process of time. And so when he brings about these thoughts to his people, they're also solid reminders to us that we need to allow him to guard us. We need to allow him to, to bring us, to lead us. And it's a reminder that he's prepared for us, but it's also a reminder that we don't need to deviate from the plan. Because again, if we go out of the presence of the guard, what's bound to happen, we're bound to fall into problems and issues. That's why the next thing he says to his people is, hey, don't chase after sin. He says, don't rebel. Obey his words. See, Roman numeral two, we need to pay careful attention to God's leading. Letter A, we don't need to allow or we don't allow sin to detour our direction. When sin detours your direction, what does it do? It takes you out of the guardrail that is Christ. Now look, if you're, if you're in Christ, he's always there. He's always present. He's always around. But what we tend to do is we pretend in, that he's not around. And we go chase after the pleasures of our heart and the desires that we deeply want so that we can enjoy life. 
We pursue relationships we shouldn't be in. We pursue addictions we shouldn't pursue. We chase after the things of the world rather than the creator of the world. And so when we do that, we end up missing the moment. We end up missing the direction he truly wants us to go or we begin to detour in the different direction and then he's got to pull us back in. And so he warns them, he says, I'll have no pardon for this. Wow. Now this is the first sign he's holy. If he's saying there's no pardon, what does that mean? That means he knows the right direction. He knows the right pathway. And he is telling you, you cannot deviate off of this. Because if you do, you will be on the wrong pathway. You'll be moving in the wrong direction. He's letting you know that he's the only way. He's letting his people know that this is the only path in which to pursue. Just follow me, follow me. If you go in other directions, I'm sorry. I will not pardon that. That's a holy God. Here's why. Because later, when we get to the gospel, there's a lot more grace, isn't there? But he's got to get them to understand how holy he is, how precious the relationship is with God. Because a lot of times, none of us know how hot the stove is until we touch it. Remember the picture, I've talked about this before. God, think of the sun. If you were to get close to the sun, what would happen? You wouldn't be able to touch it, right? You'd get engulfed, immediately annihilated, just because he's so pure and holy. And because he's so pure and holy, there's gotta be a different respect for the sun. You gotta think of the sun as what it is, a fiery ball of chaos that can take me out in a moment's notice, even though that fiery ball works just perfectly and succinct the way it was intended to work. God is massive and he is holy. And to be in relationship with him is special and it's a privilege. And a lot of times we want to say, no, 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 God, you, you shouldn't be special because we should have full access to you. You do have full access, but that's because of his will and not yours. That he felt that he wanted to dwell with his, not even felt, he wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to be in their presence. And so a big, big God, the creator of all things, decided I will be in the presence of my people, but they need to understand this is special. Why? So that they would understand how crazy sin and the desire for sin really is. How much it can corrupt us from understanding the value of who we really are and who he really is. He is holy. And so when we look at this portion of the passage, which is a short portion, but so important, we need to realize that God is holy. God desires covenant, Roman numeral three. This jumps into uh, 
Exodus 24. Now, this will bring up a lot of different things. Um, so bear with me. Moses came and told the people all the words, the Lord, and all the rules. Now, Moses just went up to the mountain. He's spent time with God. He's now coming down. He's writing these rules. And he's going to deliver them to the people. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is a verse three, I'm sorry. I'm moving on to verse four. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built, the, built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offering and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basin and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That's a weird imagery for some of you that might be new to church, okay? I just told you a dude threw blood on other people. If you were watching a movie, it would flip you out. Now, let me, let me help you understand this a little bit better. Blood, if you know this already, because you have blood in your body, let's hope. Otherwise, that's really interesting how you got to church today. It represents life. Because if you did not have blood, you would be. So it's the life flow that is consistently happening throughout your body right? When there was covenant made, it typically was made in result of removing life from one thing to give life or to give the representation of life to another. See where I'm going here? In fact, later when we talk about the temple, we'll actually talk about how blood was used to sprinkle on the temple walls. Why? Because they would take the purest lamb and they would sacrifice it and they'd take that blood and they'd sprinkle on the walls as a symbol, symbolism of the holiness of God. They wanted to purify the holy of holies. Just the same as Moses is doing this, which I don't know who it's otter for, him or them, but he is sprinkling them with blood to remind them that life that was sacrificed over here is now given to you and a covenant is being made. And the altar represented God, represented the relationship, that there was covenant. This wasn't a contract. This was continuity. See, God wants continuity over contract. He wants a bond, a unification between his people. Continuity, if you looked it up in the dictionary, would say the unbroken 
and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. Luckily, the continuity we experience is eternity, right? That's still a set period of time. But God wants continuity over contract because here's what contracts are. You guys know this. I probably talked about this. Contracts are, we're gonna write down our expectations of one another and we're gonna agree to those. We're about to contract some folks to help us put in floors back here. We're gonna put down carpet. The contract's gonna read, you all will put in floors and we agree to clean the rooms, right? Our part's already done, by the way. They're gonna come put in floors. That's the expectation. And as a result of that, we also have a promise that we'll pay certain amounts of money for that, those floors to be done. Now, what happens if they decide not to pay for the floors? Or not to put in the floors? Do we pay? No, of course not. It's a contract. You fulfill the job, we'll pay the price. Covenant is this. I'm gonna do my part even when you don't do yours. Some of us might be in the room and don't realize God wants to have a covenant with you. In fact, he's already done his part. He's already laid down the sacrifice for your sins so you might have hope in Christ. And you can still move about your way the, the way you want to. But at the end of the day, God desires covenant over contract. Think about it this way. In marriage, right? You don't wanna be in a contractual marriage, do you? If we're in a contract marriage, then once the contract is breached, you're out. Or at least you have the freedom to get out, right? Unfortunately, that's what society does. And let me tell you how society does this. I'm gonna offend for a second. Society does this by saying, hey, you know what? I don't need to be in that just covenant relationship yet, but you know, I wanna check things out. So we're gonna live together. That should work. We're gonna explore. Let me tell you a couple of statistics you might wanna know before you make that decision. Do you know 48% of cohabitating couples before they get married, if they cohabitate prior to marriage, have a 48% greater chance of divorce? This was done by University of Denver. They talked a little bit more thorough about this. They said there was a bit of insecurity on both parties before they entered the marriage because of expectations of intimacy and relationship. Also, there was a bit of insecurity when it came to finances. We uh, were doing a financial class up in Yorktown, and one of the statistics they always bring up is that married couples have the faster access to growth when it comes to wealth. I know that's unfair for you singles, I'm sorry, but it's just true because they can combine incomes and move a lot quicker, especially when they join accounts and get on the same page with their budget. See, there's two things that are going on when we think about the covenant relationship that we have with God and the covenant that God's building with his people. One, his people, if they'll follow the covenant, they can get to know the great God that is, right? 
If we decide to be in a marriage and we decide to get to know the other individual in our relationship, we decide not to breach that contract or breach that covenant and go outside of the marriage for intimacy, our intimacy will probably increase over time. And even when flaws come up, my security is not rocked because Beth Ian still thinks I look good. All right? The other thing is our, our finances, that, that tension doesn't have to be there because we've budgeted, we've thought through things together. And we can take care of our house and our kids and our life because we have that relationship, that covenant that says, I may be a horrible person one day, but I promise I am here for the remainder of our life in this marriage. It's covenant over contract. I'm telling you guys, you want covenant. Because contract is temporary. Covenant, especially when it comes to God, is eternal. That's a good thing, and that's exactly what God was giving to his people that day. I want covenant with you. I want to be in a long-term relationship. No matter what happens, no matter the barriers that break, I don't want to dip my toes in the water. I want to immerse myself in the deep end with you. See, a lot of times we just want to dip our toes and think, okay, let's just test the waters. This is probably going to fail. Let me get out of the water. But what we need to do when it comes to relationship with God is we need to jump in the deep end and immerse ourselves and experience what life is truly with God. Don't dip your toe in relationship with God. And here's what I'm talking to you. I'm not just talking to a new believer. I'm talking to you who's been a believer for years but has not really dipped yourself in deep enough to even know who God really is. You got the gospel and that was about it. You didn't dip into an understanding of why God's eternal. You didn't dip into an understanding of understanding the theology behind it. You needed to get into the deep end, and you never did. And today is the first day you can begin to do that. Because you, whether you like it or not, when you accepted Christ, you got into a covenant relationship with him, and he has been pursuing your heart since the beginning. And he has been desiring the intentions of your heart to be shifted in his direction because he knows there's a better life and better way for you. Are you willing to dive into the deep end? Because that's where he wanted his people because the next part of the journey was battle. In fact, if you look right behind, he says, the Lord will go before you. It says, we're going to battle against these people and these people and these people. And he tells them how they're gonna get defeated because God's gonna pave the path before them. Far too often, we don't expect God to do that, yet he does. But it's, he does that when we actually pay attention to where he is going. So we have to read our word. We have to get in the Bible. We have to be involved in the local church. Not because that's gonna save you, but because being involved in the local church is gonna remind you of your sanctification as a result of what Christ has done for you. And he's building you up and he's helping you understand what it means to be mature in Christ.
And so this <coughs> premise of everything that he's talking about being covenant is gonna lead you to that maturity to the point where I think being in relationship long enough and seeing all the bumps and bruises that I've experienced and maybe you've experienced, you find rest in him. In fact, let her be rest in the affirmation of God's relationship. Now, this one I didn't come up with. This is actually our pastor in Richmond. One of the great things we get to do every week is meet as a group of pastors. And he said, one of the things that really stood out in this passage is that this is the point where the people of God should be able to rest in him and say, there's a plan and the battle's already won. It's complete. And they should be able to just be so comfortable with the reality that God is on their side. Because suddenly their adversaries become his adversaries because he's got a plan and a promised land ahead of them. And so in the midst of this, you and I should find rest. Guys, there's nothing great that you're gonna face that hasn't already been faced by God. Some of you might be dealing with some very difficult situations right now, whether it's work, whether it's home life. Some of you may not even know what tomorrow is gonna bring. It's okay. God's been through it. Lean into him because your rest and your peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he will guard your heart and your mind. And so... In this moment, this is the moment where they should feel the most comfort and rest knowing that he will provide and take care of moving them forward. But the, the little notation is this. They have to follow. Hear it again. They have to follow. Part of the problem, if you're feeling like God's not there, might be that you're not really following. Might be that you're deviating in your own plans, that you're a step off from where you really should be. That it, we talk about this in financial peace, so forgive me, but we talk about credit cards and uh, this will definitely offend. <clears throat> but we talk about, there's that one point in financial peace, if you, re- peace, if you really wanna get out of debt, you gotta cut up your credit card. And all of us are probably sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do that. That'd be horrible because I got to check into that hotel. I got to rent that car. And they're like, there's plans for that. There's ways to do that without a credit card. See, we're, we're following the plan of God, but we don't want to cut up the credit card. We're good with getting out of the, getting out of Dodge, getting out of debt, getting out of Egypt. We're just not good with cutting up the credit card. We're still holding on to something. What are you holding on to that's not allowing you to make the full exit and the full follow through towards Christ? Is it an addiction? Is it something good? Is it just a a friendship that's actually dragging you down because it consistently goes towards gossip and uh, confusion? Is it that you're not fully engaged in the life of the church? Is it that you're, you're consistently looking for other things to fill your time and energy. You're allowing yourself to consume too much of that Netflix or you're allowing yourself to get enamored with your um, hobbies rather than what you're really intended to do, which is 
be a representation of the gospel in front of friends? What is it that's keeping you from following him? See, because here's the deal. Moses, again, at the end of this, goes up the mountain. And the scripture is, is that he goes up there and God is this fireball. Just huge, massive, all-consuming fire. And Moses is about to go up there and play with the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about my kid and I think about if he went up that mountain and what would happen with the fire. Everybody there with me? That would be chaos and I would be trying to tackle him on the way up the mountain. It was special though and it was a privilege. In the passage, it actually, I won't get into this as much, but God tells Moses, only you come up. Only you. Again, God trying to display my holiness is great. If corruption comes in, if sin comes in, it will get consumed. And in the process, so will those who present themselves in front of me. My holiness is that great. So Moses, please, only you come up. It was a privilege. And he walked up. And sometimes he descended. Now, I love sometimes he descended with the love of God by the demonstration of the confirmation of God's love through the Ten Commandments. We always think that's a condition of God's love. It's actually a confirmation of God's love because God laid out, hey, here's the things you shouldn't do because these are the things that are dragging you down. But you know what else? I'm reminded of a mountain. When Jesus took up the cross, See, it was easy to carry the stones, probably much easier to carry the stones down the mountain of the law than to carry the cross up the mountain. But Christ did that. And he did that so that what? That every day in our existence, if we have Christ in our life, we have access to the mountain. That's special. And so often, guys, and I'm primarily talking to you church folks, we don't realize that every day you get to go to the mountain. That where at one time only one man had access to it, you all that believe in Christ now have access every single morning to walk up and to say hello to your heavenly father. That should never underwhelm us. That should always overwhelm us with how good and great he is. The pillar of fire, you get to be right there and it's not gonna hurt you because God transferred through Christ his holiness onto you. Even though while we were yet sinners, that's a good deal. See, my challenge for you in hearing this this morning is simple. Do you realize how valuable your relationship with God is? How priceless, how precious that you have access to go to the mountain? Or do you miss it? Do you miss the whole picture of what God has done? Do you realize that you not only get to go to the mountain, 
but he will relay through his word, through his relationships he gives you in the life of the body, the direction you need to go. That he will pave the path for you. That he will set you up for success. Now, some of you are gonna have more success than others because you're hard workers and that's just what you do. For others of us, we're gonna have decent success. Some of us, we might live in poverty for a short period of time, who knows? But my relationship with God will be solid because the most valuable thing you have in this world is your relationship with Christ. So as the band comes up, I wanna remind you, you have something special and precious that you get to be involved with every single day. And I promise you this, if you're willing to sit with God, he will clarify the direction of your heart. We always read the old Psalm, right? The desire of your heart, right? We always kind of read this wrong. God will give you the desires of your heart. You probably heard it. Yet at the end of the day, he doesn't give you the desires of your heart now. He gives you the desires of your heart when he fills it with the desires of his heart. So you have a direction you can go. Follow Christ. Realize the value that you have in him and through him. Let me pray. Father, thank you. After even contemplating through this whole process and message, it's such a privilege that we get to talk to you. We didn't get to go up the mountain. Only one man will ever be credited with going up the mountain. But at the end of the day, you've given us access through your son to go up a mountain every day and to speak with you, to be in your presence. And not only be in your presence in a moment, but you are persistent to the covenant in which you've given us to be with us, to dwell within us. Thank you. May we stand and sit in awe of who you are and the fact that we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, with the sustainer of life, with the God who is, was, and always will be the almighty God, the provider and provision of all time. So thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.